Okay. Do you need to say anything else, Luke? No, looking forward to Okay. Is everyone feeling alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic? Yes? yes? <laughs> you are allowed to talk to me. <laughs> um, good. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for all that you are. Thank you that this is all about you, that it's not about me. And, yeah, I just release your peace into this room right now to any place that is unsettled. I just release the peace of God to come and bring a stillness, to bring a reception. Thank you, Father, that you're bringing revelation and that you speak no matter what I say. And so I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak. Thank you that you have something specific to say to every single person here. So I ask that you come and you open our hearts. And yeah, Jesus, you are so worthy. You are worthy, Jesus, of everything. And so we just, we set you up, we lift you up, Jesus, as king over this time, over our lives. We thank you that we only have victory because of you. We live because of you. And so we just say, come and have your way. Come and increase your presence. Increase our awareness of your presence, God. Mm. We just love you so much. You are so good. You are better than we could ever even think. You are so good, God. Just come in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I am going to do things a little differently to how a normal preach would look. Um, I was so inspired. I don't know how many of you were here for Tess's uh, preach. I think it was two weeks ago. Um, And she just shared so amazingly her story and her life and wove in... I mean, I'm not even going to go there. She managed to weave in theology and life points and like a medical lesson and everything, (laughs) which I'm not going to attempt to do. But I was just so inspired by that. And even before that, when I knew I was preaching now, I just felt like I really needed to share some of my life. Um, Because we are family, we say we're family, and so we should know each other, really. And not so that we can air all our dirty laundry and like I can give you all the sordid details, but to know where we're coming from, to know what victory we carry, to know what influence we carry, so that you know that about me, I know that about you, we can hold each other accountable, we can see each other prophetically, and we can actually move faster because of that, because of that space of vulnerability. So I'm going to Brene Brown it. (laughs) She is now a bird, if you didn't know. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and just take time to share with you a bit of my life. And that points to how good God is. Because I should not be here 
but for extreme grace. And um, so I, I typed it all out and I thought, actually, I just need to read you a story because otherwise I'm going to tangent. <laughs> and that can get very complex. So let's rather, I thought, let me read you a story. And um, I will read it in a lively way, I hope, so that it's not, it's not like, you know, a bedtime story. Um, based on a true story. Based on a true story. Maybe it should be made into a movie. We'll see. Um, yeah, so that's going to be about 15 minutes. And I just want to make space afterwards for God to do what he wants to do and to pray and for us to all pray for each other and see what happens because um, that is more important than my details. So, are we happy? Are you ready for a story? <laughs> Good. Okay. And apologies to those of you who have heard this before. Like my friend who's known me since I was seven. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is the story of the prodigal daughter who had so many reasons for staying away that when she finally came home. Her father ran to her and hugged and kissed and hushed her with his love. And she found that he had been watching and waiting every day for her to come home. I was one of those Jesus freak types at high school, especially after summer camp. The after camp high was real. I would leave the house in the morning before school, armed with my DC talk cassette tapes, and make my dad play it loudly on the way to school to get pumped up. It was the 90s, and as Jubilee, where the church I grew up in, we were fresh in the mid to late afterglow of the Toronto blessing. Uh, at 12, I was baptized in water in a porter pool, and shortly afterwards, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and experiencing the charitable presence of God. I actually didn't know what hit me. Father God found me in a very tangible way. I remember evenings at youth group that went on way past normal hours had all our parents worried as we were carrying on praying and worshipping and we were so desperate for God. When the time came to leave for Rhodes University, I prayed for non-Christian friends that I could share Jesus with. <laughs> I did. It was real. I was armed and dangerous, ready to take on the world. But then, little by little, the world took on me. I met the most amazing friends who I'm still friends with now. And, and I experienced affirmation like I hadn't before. They saw me in a different way. I came out of my shell. I was liked. I was wild, dramatic, fun. I was four senior students. This was fun. And it's not that any of this was bad. It's just that I started looking at myself more than I was looking at my Jesus, my life source. I started thinking that I actually knew better for a while. I found other things 
that satisfied the desires that he had so strategically placed within me, and I mismatched them with my fixes. Fixes of excessive drinking, smoking, boys, an eating disorder, attention, you name it. I tried to take control of my life. And not surprisingly, I was depressed, without hope. My friends gave it a while and then they called it. They were worried, they spoke to the res warden, told my mother, and I ended up in therapy and on antidepressants. Now this sounds like a dismal picture. I felt like it was actually pretty glamorous at the time, to be honest. I felt like I was really grappling with life and experiencing all that it had to offer. The highs, the lows, the drama. I wish I could say the fasty ended and I went home and everything came out in the wash, but it didn't. I did a pretty good job some of the time of making it look like that. Um, other times, not so much. I had a carefully crafted imbalance operating that I imagined looked like balance. I tried to do all the grown-up things. I got a job, a place to stay, a car, I ticked all the boxes, I even went back to church, I joined a home group, I pitched up, I played the part, and it wasn't even really fake. I really was desperate for God. But it's just, I still couldn't seem to let go of the thrill that I was seeking. The fake highs I was finding, the compliments I was receiving, the adoration I was enjoying. And it sneakily all became a little bit more extreme, which made the thrill a bit more of having to hide it to appear together. I find myself taking more risks to feed this need. Um, and I figured, surely there'd be a low point, you know, that rock bottom that everyone talks about, that will just snap you right out of it into normality. But no amount of scares actually seemed to jolt me into reality. The eating disorder came back, the therapy sessions reappeared, some rather intense family issues threw me off quite wildly, and the antidepressants strengthened. Nothing really seemed to work, and as much as I was appearing as a somewhat functioning adult, I was dying inside when I actually cared to admit it. But I mean, you could have known me and thought that I was totally fine. You'd see me in church praying for people, then there were times I obviously wasn't fine. I landed up in hospital twice after deciding that actually I'd had enough and taken an overdose of tablets. And one of my final wake-up calls came when I woke up in hospital on my birthday after my friends had to put me in an ambulance. I'm not sharing all these gory details to make this dramatic or interesting. I just really want to point to the extreme grace the mercy of God. It's been a real process to where I am now, and where I am now is not even the end, thank God. I won't go into all of it, but the essence is that He is the lovesick Father, the ultimate. I really probably should be dead by now, truly. Looking back at some of what I escaped, it's no coincidence that I survived. It's because of nothing that I did, but because of the unrelenting love of the Father towards me who absolutely refused to let me go. And yet there are 
complexities, I still had to make a choice. Love can only be love if it's a choice. And I did choose. That is true freedom, true love. And I eventually chose to come back to my father. But my prodigal story seems to be more like one of not just one running back, but more like 17. It's like I came back, then I tried to climb out the window, then come back again, <laughs> then take the back door. And every single time, the reaction from the father is the same. He doesn't say, you only have one chance. There's really no formula in how he works. He used people as miracles, friends and family, he used medicine and doctors. He spoke to me, he showed up. His presence rocked me. He used this church. That was a real turning point. I walked in here, well not in here, in that funny old garage, somewhere in Woodstock, <laughs> in 2011. And I walked in and felt the real tender presence of God in an instant. Um, this church and Gaza's persuasion on an auction night and the Holy Spirit and family and friends all jointly got me to the US to attend a ministry school, which was basically nine months of heart surgery. So it was there through others and me hearing God that I knew that it was time to slowly come off antidepressants, which was a pretty big deal. That was more than four years ago. And I haven't struggled with depression since. He has brought healing and restoration and freedom in so many areas. And it's not only in looking back that I see him. I actually felt his presence all along. He never hides his face. He never stopped pursuing, always drawing me out. These words from one of Stephanie Bergsinger's songs really spoke to me. Come out of hiding. You're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You hold your reasons, but I have the peace. You've been on lockdown, but I have the key. I can also get so stuck in asking all the whys and trying to figure it all out. I can say it was because there were family issues, that I was angry, that I didn't know who I was, which were all part of it. And God speaks through all of us and brings revelation and learning and healing, because that's who he is. He never leaves us as we find ourselves, if we let him in. I've wrestled with trying to understand how I could have known him so intimately, and then knowingly run away. I mean, how is that possible? Two of the deepest revelations he showed me, though, obvious though they may not seem, are one that I didn't really believe that he was as good as he said he is. I just didn't get it. I couldn't really and deeply trust him when he said, all your desires can and will be fulfilled through me. So I thought I'd fix those gaps. See how that panned out. Not very well. But he's been showing me just how intimately he actually does know me. It's 
sometimes I feel like we can be almost a bit tried and one-dimensional in our thinking when we anticipate that thought, God fulfills all my desires. He gives me what I need. When we sing, all I need is you, and we're thinking, really? I think there's some other things. <laughs> but we forget how real God is and how wild he is. And that he knows us on a cellular level, on a cerebral level, and on a spiritual level. I mean, let's get real. Why do you think the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because God knows that being drunk gives some kind of high, but also leads to being out of control and pressing yourself to strike by him. But he's not a fun killer. He offers us something way better, being drunk in the Holy Spirit. And I'm very pleased that he offers us that. He knows that I need that. I do. And he gives. On a real practical level, he knows you need endorphins to go for a run with him. He knows you need adventure. So take a risk and give some money away. Or take a risk on a word of knowledge. It's a better thrill than going out on your own, hooking up with someone, waking up in a parking lot. I promise you, I've tried both. God knows better. <laughs> Even laughter, weeping, all these things are part of how God fills the desires and the needs that we have. Even someone shaking in the Holy Spirit, you may look at it and think, what is that? That makes no sense. But God can take someone, someone who's been traumatized, and literally shake the trauma out of them in an hour. And we, we can't understand, but he knows what he's doing. We need to let him out of this box that we've put him in. He is wild, and he wants to do things his way, and he knows better. So I've decided I'm choosing to follow over trying to understand. He never asked me to understand him. He just asked me to follow him. The second revelation was that I didn't think that I could actually be the fullness of who I was in what God had for me. I thought that that would be boring. So in believing that, I played small and I sold myself short. And now more and more I feel like God is breaking me open and allowing me to be more fully the exact person that he created me to be, that I was hiding from for so long because I was scared that I wouldn't be enough. I needed to repent from hiding from reality and opening a door to fantasy as a way of escape. I had to hand over self-hatred, belittlement, a sense of a lack of identity. I had to repent that I was even using spiritual gifts that God had given me in counterfeit ways, in manipulative ways. I had to hand over false protection of control and selfishness. I had to forgive myself, others, to let myself out of captivity, to break covenant with anger and bitterness, to hand God the confusion between my destiny and who I had been and the fear that I am less than I believed I was and will never attain to the dreams I have. He knew what he was doing when he made me. 
My desire was not a mistake. He knew what he was doing when he made all of you. Intentionally. He made me intentionally. And I need to allow that and understand it. He created me to be a risk taker, a leader, and I'm selling his glory and Jesus' sacrifice short if I hide in insecurity. There are also days that nothing makes sense to me, and I just can't wrap my head around life, around God, around how I find, found myself, where I found myself, and I can be tempted in a real way to just get up again, to choose what I feel like in the moment. But nothing is wasted, not even these wanderings, nothing, not one day. It's all used. God is not afraid of me. He's not afraid of you. Even when I'm afraid of myself, when I'm suspicious of myself, when I feel that I'm not to be trusted, He thinks differently. He sees me as faithful. He looks at me and sees the faithfulness of Jesus in me, and then He holds a mirror and shows that to me. He shows me who I am when I feel the furthest from it. And then he says that the stats and the stories and the evidence that I make up and present to him about my past that should influence my future are false, irrelevant. He makes no sense of them. He rules them out. In fact, he flips them upside down to use them for life. Even my darkness is as light to you. My past does not look like my future. It does not dictate my future. Yes, there may have been consequences, but how much more the grace? It's not even comparable. The lovesick father, your lovesick father, is recovering what is lost. It's what he does. Jesus spoke three parables, one after the other in Luke. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, about the recovery of what is lost. It's in his nature. It's his active pursuit. He is unable to give up. It would never even enter his head to leave you where you are. He's bringing generational restoration through individuals, what has been perpetuated ends. Because the lovesick father is a restorer, he is restoring all things to himself. And that means that nothing remains lost. It means that curses are broken, relationships are restored, and bodies are healed. Father saw her coming, dressed as a beggar. 
and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his daughter who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet her. He swept her up in his arms, hugged her dearly, and kissed her over and over with tender love. Then she said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your daughter. Just let me. The father interrupted and said, Daughter, you are home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on your shoulders. Bring the ring, and I will put it on your finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my <laughs> Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved daughter of mine was once dead, but now she's alive again. Once she was lost, but now she is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy.
for his glory and for his enjoyment and for our fulfillment because Jesus came to actually give us abundance in every part. And yeah, I really feel like he's weaving things together, he's spotlighting what needs to be brought back.